Hello and welcome to Start Yours, a podcast from Oberlo about what it's like to start a business. My name is David Vranikar, I'm with Oberlo, and today we are diving into a topic that has come up repeatedly from guests on Start Yours, and that is the topic of student debt. Now, student debt actually came up on the very first episode we did when our buddy Ryan Carroll explained why he decided not to go to college, even though all his friends were going, and even though his family was giving him the hard sell on why it was the only smart thing to do. Here's what Ryan had to say. I feel like it kind of sets you up to be in this rat race lifestyle, not that everyone's in it. And they're very unaware that they're kind of going into that route, you know, going into debt to get all this, the degree that then gets you a $50,000 job a year mm-hmm. that you got to pay off over the next, you know, forever. So, yeah, forever, <laughs> your, your college debt. So as we've done more and more episodes, it turned out that Ryan wasn't alone. Other guests have brought up debt as well, like Paul Lee who launched a super successful beard care brand. Now, unlike Ryan, Paul did go to college, but it didn't take long before he hit the eject button. And here's how he explained his decision to drop out. It was my sophomore year. I had already racked up a good bit of debt in my freshman year. And then basically I signed up for a marketing class thinking this would teach me, be helpful in my business. And then first day I realized after three hours sitting there, the lady, she's never even owned a business. Uh-huh. It's completely ridiculous. Finally, one more, John Lee Dumas, host of the awesome Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast, had this to say about debt when he joined us on Start Yours. They took out way too much in student loans because they are paying way too much rent for their apartment because they're paying way too much on their car and their mortgage payment and what X and Y and Z and they've trapped themselves in debt. All right, so if all these e-commerce wizards keep bringing up debt, we thought it was time to go ahead and give this topic its due and that's why we enlisted today's guests Vadim and Sergey Revson. Vadim and Sergey know a thing or two about debt, especially college debt. They co-authored a big article for the Harvard Business Review called Student Debt is Stopping U.S. Millennials from Becoming Entrepreneurs. Uh, And they've also covered this topic a bunch on their own podcast, The Mentors. And no doubt, student debt is a phenomenon that they have witnessed up close. Sergey is a venture investor at the New York University Innovation Venture Fund. And Vadim, meanwhile, is an entrepreneur in residence at a nonprofit called Ethos and a professor at NYU and State University of New York. So they work with entrepreneurs, they work with students, and they see this intersection between debt and starting a business all the time. They join us to break down how debt gets in the way of entrepreneurship, and on the flip side of that, how people can launch businesses to get out of debt. So we hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you do, please consider subscribing. All right, this is the longest intro we've ever done. Without further ado, here are Vadim and Sergey Revson. Let's start by kind of setting the scene when it comes to uh, to student debt in the U.S. For our listeners outside the U.S., this will be good good context. And for those inside the U.S., it can be you know a sort of therapy through the uh, the idea that misery loves company. So uh, the thirty thousand foot view of student debt in the U.S. What what's the situation and how did we get there? Yeah, I mean the 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 number that you hear in the news is about one point five trillion dollars of student debt. It's actually, I think, some sources and some folks that we talk to say it's as high as one point seven trillion dollars, which is, um, which is I think half a trillion more than credit card debt, and it's just something that is prevalent across the population. With more than seventy percent of students. Uh, with substantial debt of about $29,000 in debt when they graduate. And so this is something that has been so accepted by society that people don't even think about it. I mean, yes, it's in the zeitgeist now, but when kids are making these decisions, when they're applying to schools and their parents are influencing them to make these decisions, 
debt is still a part of our lives and something that folks assume that you need to take on in order to go to a good school in order to get opportunities and for Vadim and I, at least, it seems like this needs to change, and it sounds like it's something that will eventually. You said that there's an assumption that they need to take on this debt. I guess, are you insinuating there that, that you think this is incorrect logic, that you can actually do just fine without taking on boatloads of debt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just remember uh, our situation when we were deciding to go to college. Uh, we wanted to go to the best school, and we talked to a lot of our friends who also made a choice to go to the best school sometimes, even if that meant that you didn't get a good financial package, but you're going to have that logo on your on your resume once you graduate. But we have so right. many outcomes, even just among our friend group, and uh, you know, let alone the extended network that we have of folks that went to colleges that weren't necessarily name brand or didn't even graduate college that had really strong career outcomes that didn't quite depend on that degree and that logo. Yeah, I mean, look, there's still a lot of value in getting an undergraduate degree it is something that employers look for there's probably no way around it for a lot of people obviously there's alternative education models now you can just go to coding boot camp and probably get a coding job for example so if you're getting a specific skill you can probably avoid uh, the standard four-year university route but that said a lot of people still feel like that's the right way to go there are other options. For example, for us after high school, our guidance counselor should have been pushing us towards state schools, towards options that were cheaper, where we were able to get uh, other scholarships options. And it really wasn't the case for us. And I believe it still isn't the case. People are okay if they're getting into a school of their choice, a private institution here in the States of getting uh, into a lot of debt. And they're able, they're justifying uh, the fact that it's going to pay back later on. But because tuition has risen so high, that's less and less the case. Talk, if you would, about the, the knock-on effects that, that leaving college with massive debt has on, on entrepreneurship and kind of how debt changes the calculus for, you know, John Q, 22-year-old who's, who's tens of thousands in the hole. What does, what does this debt mean in terms of, of how urgently a graduate needs to get a job? And, and what does it mean for how picky they can be with, with the way that they want to enter the workforce? I mean, I'm not sure this is super you know, quantifiable, but, but with you both having worked around college students a bunch, um, what can you say about the impact that this has on how people evaluate post-college life and, and the way that they evaluate their ability to take calculated risks? I mean, look, quite frankly, what happens is your risk profile quickly changes uh, when you realize you have to pay, make these monthly payments after college. See, in college, it's, uh, there's kind of like a curtain in front of it. And maybe some people have part-time jobs or internships. A lot of times folks here have help from their parents, but you're living on campus in many cases. You're insulated from these different problems. When you graduate into the real world, you realize you have to pay bills. You have to pay rent every single month. And then you also realize you have this other payment that's actually pretty big and in some cases very big, <laughs> like half your rent, uh, that you have to make as well. And then you quickly start making different decisions based on these financial obligations. The thing is, uh, they say that when you, Sergey actually recently talked to me about this, that when you're unemployed, sometimes it could be the happiest time in your life because you don't have a job that you hate. And if you have money in the bank, you feel okay. But if you're unemployed and you don't have money in the bank, it's the most stressful time in your life and you're literally working with blinders. All you can think about is what you don't have. Similarly, when you graduate and if you don't have a job yet and you have a bunch of debt and those monthly payments start coming, 
that creates a lot of stress. And the options that you have available to you start getting less and less. And you probably stop even thinking as creatively about the different ways that you could potentially make money and make ends meet because you are a lot more risk averse now and you're really thinking about, well, what's the sure thing? What's the most quote unquote secure thing that can get me to pay off uh, all this, uh, all these expenses that mm-hmm. I now have. It seems like one of the ironies about about student debt preventing people from starting businesses or or kind of you know crippling their their risk profile is that you could make a pretty compelling case around the idea that you know okay instead of spending fifty or a hundred or, or two hundred or whatever thousand uh, on a college degree, I'm going to spend like ten thousand or twenty thousand to to start a business, and this would seem to be you know, especially reasonable given that it's never been easier to start a business online at least. Um, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Like you guys mentioned at the outset, there's this mindset that uh, it's just kind of cooked into the equation that that parents and, and counselors that you mentioned and, and students, high school students, that there's just kind of a, a a willingness for whatever reason to to absorb this this debt. Any any theories on, on why people would not be gun shy about taking out a crazy amount of loans, but they, they would be gun shy about you know, plopping down 10,000 on on something of their own? I mean, I think we're just going right now through a transitionary period where over the last, uh, you know, I would say 20 years or so, getting a secondary or post-secondary education has become sort of the, the, the norm, the status quo, the minimum requirement you need for a good job. That really wasn't the case before. Uh, roughly saying the 90s but now we have we have a much more educated population than we ever had and so the the minimum sort of requirement is you need to get that education and so people are trying to somehow differentiate and so now they're trying to get into the best schools and they don't really care what the debt amount is because they think they're going to get jobs the thing is over time as more and more people uh, are getting that minimum of that college education, it's getting more and more competitive to get some of those top jobs. And now getting a job or a well-paying job or something that's commensurate with your uh, level of, of intelligence, expertise, uh, you know, hard work, et cetera, is not necessarily guaranteed. So I think my theory is just that we're in a transitionary period. It became something that's a requirement. And I think it's going to take a little bit of time where the infrastructure uh, catches up to the point where that's not the case. Already, some employers are not requiring that college degree, especially for hard disciplines, if somebody can prove that they've learned that discipline on their own. But uh, but we're only seeing a, a fraction of that happening right now. But the reason that people are not used to the idea of really investing in themselves by way of starting a business is because there's still a lot more inherent risk associated with trying to build something of your own. The thing is, our whole education system positions us to optimizes us, I should say, to get a job after college, to work for somebody else, to have no ownership. Some of us realize early on that that's important to us. Ideally, if that's the case, you're starting to uh, build businesses in college, you start understanding what skills you need to have in order to have ownership or in order to generate revenue for yourself. But if you're graduating out of college, you've never had the idea to do that. You still believe that it's very, very risky to start a business, that if you spend ten dollars or $20,000 on starting a business, that you will probably lose all of it. Whereas for some reason, people still believe that if you spend $40,000 a year on a college education, that you'll make that back in spades through a guaranteed salary. As more people are awakening to the fact that that salary is no longer guaranteed, 
as more people are starting to get educated by themselves about the entrepreneurial option and the fact that having ownership can have much bigger upside. And as people start to actually acquire the skills that they need to generate revenue, in other words, not start a failing business, they'll become more comfortable with the idea of investing in themselves in another way other than just an education. Do you think in some weird way that entrepreneurship is a sort of, I don't know if this is exactly the right term, but like a, a market inefficiency at this point? I mean, I mean, you mentioned that, that everybody is playing the same game with trying to get into these best colleges and then they are all competing for the same jobs. And, and I just wonder if it might make extra sense at this point to, to zig when everybody's zagging. I, I'm thinking about it kind of like in a sports context where if, if you know, an entire basketball league gets really tall, then then maybe it's smart to, to go get the, the quick guys because everyone else is, is thinking differently. Is, is there some added benefit? I mean, I know that there is a risk inherent in starting your own business, but I'm just trying to trying to work through, you know, the, the, the logic of perhaps now is, is exactly the right time as even as this other logic that you were talking about takes hold. Is, is there any, does that hold any water to, uh, to you guys? I think so. I, and I think the strategy or at least the, the smart strategy, in my opinion, is to figure out and learn those entrepreneurial skills that Vadim is talking about on someone else's dime while you're working. You may have to take a mm. job, let's say right after college, because hey, six months after graduating, that three to $800 monthly bill that's not going away that you can't even file for bankruptcy for is going to be there, right? Unless you have some extenuating circumstances that you can defer it. And so you may have to take that job, but you can spend nights and weekends. For, for most of us, we have that ability, let's say, um, that to figure out how to learn those entrepreneurial skills to launch small projects in our experience, at least starting businesses, but also the entrepreneurs that we advise, it oftentimes takes several tries at it, two, three, four, sometimes up to 10 tries of trying different ideas before you actually figure out how to, to generate income. And so working on it on the side is a great way because then you know that, for example, if that job becomes not available or if you hit a point where you where the job is draining you so much that you absolutely have to leave it, at least you have something to fall back on. And to add to that, obviously you can learn on the job by picking jobs that you think will give you the skills that you need to be successful. So for example, earlier on in my career, I wanted to learn how to manage engineers so that if I needed to build my own software product, I knew how to do that. And so I got jobs where I had to interface with engineers, where I had cross-functional roles, and I learned how to do that on that job over the course of a couple of years. So you can absolutely do that on the job. The one thing I will say is the idea of entrepreneurship and being a self-starter it has already permeated our culture. I mean, if you see shows like Silicon Valley, I think people already have the nugget of an idea in their mind that it is an option mm -hmm. that they can take. So plenty of people, I think about 60% of people consider themselves entrepreneurs when only 3 to 4% of the population in the United States actually is an entrepreneur. In other words, people that are starting businesses. What that means is that people have an idea of what entrepreneurship is but they're not actually starting businesses. So you still need those skills in order to get some kind of revenue generating company off the ground. And the reason why I say that is because, of course, you can start a business uh, that is positioned for growth, for example, that might go the venture financing route that might not focus on generating revenue right away, might look at some other KPI or metric. But for most people, that's not an option. Less than 1% of companies ever raise money from investors. And so you need to get to revenue much quicker, which means you need to have a different set of skills.
All right, we're gonna catch our breath for 30 seconds, which means that you can skip ahead, or if you're still here, you can let me tell you real quick, I promise, super quick, how much we'd appreciate it if you took a teeny tiny moment to rate and or review Start Yours on your podcast app. The more ratings we have for Start Yours, the more awesome guests we'll be able to have, and the more awesome guests that we have on here, the more chances we'll get to bring you inspiration and education from people at the front lines of launching a business. So now, later, whenever, we'd be tickled to get a rating or a review or both. All right, 30 seconds is up, back to the show. I love this idea of, of accumulating skills along the way, maybe even doing it while, while you're collecting a paycheck from, from a, a, you know, a quote unquote steady employer. What are a couple skills, uh, if somebody wanted to, to embrace that and, and live it, what are a couple skills that, uh, you know, that would be good to go ahead and, and, and put in your back pocket while you're while you're doing that thinking long term about launching a business we usually talk about it in in one of two ways i mean as as far as the type of skills that you can acquire that are valuable for launching a business in the first couple of years they really fall into two buckets one is building the product or service offering and two is selling it and there's obviously a ton of different disciplines that fall under those two buckets but you could think about it in, in those two ways and you can start compartmentalizing and figuring out what am I good at and which of these buckets does it, does it fall under. The reason why building or selling is the most important, if you look at any jobs for startups or early stage companies that are hiring, you'll see that they fall under those two buckets because either creating the product that you're going to sell or actually delivering it and selling it to customers are the only two things that matter for survival. So for the selling side, you could learn digital marketing, customer acquisition, lead generation. You could learn sales, you know, uh, enterprise sales, B2B, B2C. There's a ton of different types of sales that you could learn. How to write effective emails, for example, is a uh, copywriting is a really important skill for both sales and marketing. On the flip side, for, for building skills, if you're thinking about building technology, it's important to learn some sort of fundamental skills around coding, whether you're learning how to code yourself or you're just learning product management skills so you can manage engineers and then design is another skill that's really important to building, right? No matter what kind of product you, you might want to create. So it doesn't matter which of these that you choose as long as they fall in those two buckets. And then you just try to figure out by experimenting, what am I good at and what can I spend a little bit of time on to get better at? I wanted to ask you about, about good debt versus bad debt. And I'm curious if there's some, some rules of thumb that, that people should keep in mind when they think about red ink. Because having worked uh, with entrepreneurs for years and years, as, as you have, uh, I'm sure you've seen lots of people who go into the red, you know, very deliberately and they come out the other side, you know, with viable businesses that wouldn't have worked um, if they didn't take that risk and didn't take on uh, a little bit of debt. Um, how can someone tell the difference between the sort of debt that, that we've been talking about earlier, which, which limits choice and which kind of traps people versus the sort of debt that lots of good businesses have absorbed uh, before going on to, to bigger and better things? The way that I would look at it is essentially starting to operate from the idea that you have very limited resources and getting creative with how you use whatever resources that you have. So if you're going to go into debt, you should almost assume as if you have no money, that you have very little to invest. And if you had the smallest amount possible to invest, what would you do with that money? Well, most likely you would put that money to work, working capital, and you would try to make sure that you have a plan for making that money back as quickly as possible. For example, when you're starting a software business, you could invest years into building a product and hundreds of thousands of dollars into building software, hiring engineers, contractors, and the like. I've seen countless people do that. 
without ever talking to a single customer, without doing customer discovery, without figuring out a repeatable sales process. That is not a good reason to get into debt. But if you need to spend five to $10,000 to build an MVP and during a minimum viable product and during that time, you're talking to customers, you're figuring out how you're getting people through the marketing funnel, how you're communicating the value proposition so that you can actually start generating revenue and quickly reinvest in that revenue continuously into the building, that is a smarter investment because you're, again, de-risking the whole situation. So if you're more likely to make that money back and you have a clear path to making that money back, then it's a smarter investment that is more justifiable. And things like, obviously, like credit card debt is one of the worst forms of debt that you could have because right. the interest is, is so high. Now you can, for example, if you have decent credit, you can usually qualify for zero interest credit cards, zero interest for one year. And if you've proven off, proven your business enough where you can see there's demand for your product, maybe let's say if it's a simple uh, consumer product business that you're importing goods, let's say from China or India, and you're selling them in America, you have done pre-sales to prove that there's demand, you have an email list, you have, a, let's say, maybe a social media following that proves that people want what it is that you're selling getting into a little bit of credit card debt in a, in a zero interest or low interest loan that you might get or credit card loan that you might get uh, in order to finance a purchase order to get your initial order of items that you can then sell is a better form of debt because it's hedged a little bit. You've proven that you have a high likelihood of returning that capital and being able to pay off that debt in short order before those interest payments start piling on. Any amount of debt is going to be risky it's just what assets are you creating with that debt to reduce the risk as much as possible? Now, there will be another recession at some point. Uh, the, the global economy has basically been you know, roaring for, for a decade or so, and, and history suggests that that's not, uh, that's not indefinitely sustainable. So whether it's from something really specific, like a housing downturn, or you know, we don't know exactly how the, the coronavirus stuff is going to play out, maybe the economy in China slows down enough that, that everything as a whole lags. Whatever the case is, there will be a recession at some point. And I'm curious, what should entrepreneurs keep in mind uh, when that happens? How do, how do recessions affect entrepreneurs differently than, than someone with a more you know, normal job? Well, recessions oftentimes can actually provide opportunity for entrepreneurs uh, because, mm -hmm. let's say, not there's less a little bit less competition. Your competitors, larger companies, are spending a little less money because they're more risk averse, and so oftentimes it does provide more opportunity and ability to launch things but only for people that have a little bit of a cushion. So if you have mm -hmm. a bit of a cushion that you can at least save some money so that, let's say, if you lose the job, that's your primary income, then you can have something to fall back on. Or if you invest in the business and something doesn't work out, you know, your business doesn't die just because you're not making as much money for three to six months because the recession just started happening. You know, that's what you want to do. And even with, uh, with fundraising, with venture funding, right now what's happening a lot is investors are telling their founders to raise as much as possible now so that they have a little bit of money in the bank that when they're hiring people, they, they still have money left over to actually operate if they're not yet profitable because a lot of venture fund, funded businesses you know, are not profitable in the near term. So having a cushion is really important, I think. And you're going to add something with him? Yeah, and I would also say, I mean, remember other benefits when there's a recession, uh, economists try to stimulate it. So interest rates are lower. So debt becomes cheaper as well. But the other thing that recessions force you to do is they force you to think about value. Because people are a little bit more risk averse, because there's a little bit less spending, nice to have start fading away. And people only continue to spend money on must-haves. 
So, you know, they, they always say this, that um, liquor sales, for example, even during a recession, stay basically flat in, and or go up, right? There's certain <laughs> products out there that will continue to be in demand. So if you're forced to be more resourceful, you're going to have to think about the value that you're creating even deeper. Because as long as you are creating that value, it really doesn't matter uh, unless you're in a, a great depression and, and there's hyperinflation and nobody has any money to spend, no disposable income, there's still going to be some markets that are spending money somewhere. And you're just going to have to figure out where that value is and how you are delivering it to your customers. All right, last question for you guys, and then I'll, I'll let you go. I assume that people have been talking trash about different generations, uh, whether it's older people bagging on younger people or, or vice versa. Uh, this has probably been going on you know, since we were living in caves, and it's, it's certainly going on. Uh, today with, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z taking a bunch of flack for being lazy or entitled or irresponsible or whatever. But I don't want to ask you about negative stereotypes. I, I wanted to ask you about about positives, about anything that, that you see um, in your day to day interactions with uh, with young entrepreneurs and with with university students. Is there anything that young potential entrepreneurs today have that is an advantage, whether it's the way that, that they communicate or how they were raised, the whatever it is, um, are there ways in which, you know, they are actually better positioned to become entrepreneurs than, than previous generations. Yeah, I mean, I would say what, what we're observing is that, you know, young people, younger people, it's almost part of their nature to have a bunch of side gigs happening at once. You know, we're talking about this ability to have something to fall back on if something else doesn't work out. And even though it may seem like, let's say, younger people or Gen Z or millennials are a little bit flaky, it's not that they're flaky, it's that they need to have a lot of coals in the fire, so to speak, to, to be able to make sure that there's going to be some opportunity on the other side if something else doesn't work out because there's no guarantees now. I'll give you a perfect example that has to do with debt. You know, this founder that I started working with a couple of years ago started working on, a, on an e-commerce business, a relatively niche product, and they were working toward their MBA, finishing their MBA. And when it came time to finish the MBA, they found themselves about $100,000 in debt. Now, they also had a business that was already at that point had generated a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And from the outside perspective, it looks like this person is a winner, right? They've won. Uh, they uh -huh. are about to finish their MBA. They have a business that's generating in six figures in revenue. You know, they're on their way to success. But I know as well that they came to my office right before graduating so nervous because they didn't know how they were going to make their uh, payments for student debt because, you know, yes, they have a lot of revenue, but they have a ton of expenses in the business. And at the same time, they were also supporting themselves by working a side gig in a, in a local gym, uh, teaching classes in a gym. And uh, also, I think they had like another job where they were teaching another class in a, in a school just to make ends meet uh, aside from this business. So, you know, People have to be now a lot more resourceful because we're talking about expenses that are higher than they used to be and taking getting a business off the ground, even if you're generating revenue, to get to a point where it's self-sustaining takes a lot of hard work. And I know especially young people that we interact with, they go through these ups and downs, but they're really cut out for it. They're figuring it out even when it seems like it's impossible. And also, I'll just add that I feel that the younger generations are more comfortable now with challenging the status quo. And as an entrepreneur, you have to be comfortable with 
both that and entering uncharted territories. I always talk about in my classes that while they've people have always grown up to believe that they're going to have a certain job and wear a certain hat or set of hats and, and have a linear career path, but that is starting to change more and more. There's new industries being created at a faster rate now than ever before. The knowledge doubling curve is a, is a great sort of indicator of that. There are jobs that are coming onto the market that require skills that are relatively brand new. And so even navigating your career now becomes an entrepreneurial endeavor because you may be doing a job in five years that requires completely different skills or even the day-to-day will be completely different than what you were used to. That means you have to be comfortable with constantly changing environments. And obviously the younger generation is already more comfortable with that because they're realizing that there's no such thing as a sure thing, that you have to learn how to pave your own way and that you have to learn how to identify opportunities that are likely to contribute to your own personal goal. And obviously entrepreneurial opportunities fall into that realm as well. Great guys, we can leave it there. Uh, Thanks again so much for joining us again, uh, Vadim. And Sergey Revzin, you can check out their podcast called The Mentors. Uh, it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, thementors.co, lots of goodies over there. So uh, guys, once again, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for having us. David here again. Huge thank you once more to Sergey and Vadim Revzin. Uh, It's awesome having them on the podcast to break down debt. If you want to hear all those other episodes that we mentioned at the beginning where our guests brought up debt, you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, We got those and a bunch more. So so check those out. And uh, if you have any other interests in e-commerce, dropshipping, finding products to sell online, side hustles, whatever whatever it is. You can probably find something about it at overload.com, at the Overload blog. Uh, we might even have an ebook about it at overload.com slash ebooks. Uh, or you'll find something about it on our YouTube channel. Um, so check it out there. You can also find Overload on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you want to reach us to let us know what you think about the podcast, shoot a note to podcast at overload.com. Talk to you soon.